Today's show is sponsored by Turbonomic. Apps on Cloud Summit, hosted by Turbonomic, is a new action-packed, not a conference happening online May 11th through the 13th. It's for everyone who makes applications in the cloud run, from IT leaders to DevOps pros to folks just like you. Join us to learn from some of the best, like Kelsey Hightower and Corey Quinn. Register now at Turbonomic.com slash Cloudcast, and there's a swag box ready to ship for the first 2,000 registrants. Don't miss it. Register now at Turbonomic.com slash Cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well. Another edition of the Sunday Perspective Show here. Uh, end of April, kind of wrapping up April. Uh, hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody's getting a chance um, to get access to the vaccination uh, in your part of the world. You know, so, you know, I want to kind of dive into today's show was a couple of things. Uh, we had a release of Kubernetes, and I know I don't talk about Kubernetes probably as much as I should on this show. Uh, it tends to be a lot of the stuff that I do in my day job, and so I don't talk about it as much over here. But obviously, Kubernetes is a big part of the technology landscape these days. We see a lot of companies are adopting Kubernetes. A lot of people are getting Kubernetes certifications. Um, and we saw a release of Kubernetes here about a week ago, uh, 1.21. So, uh, you know, another release of Kubernetes. It comes out um, on a regular good cadence. Um, and then KubeCon uh, EU is coming up here in about a week or so. And the two of those things really kind of got me talking because we don't talk as much about the buzz around Kubernetes anymore. It's sort of as if it's now reached that stage that a lot of people have talked about for a while, which is Kubernetes needs to be boring, right? It's it's sort of a blur between infrastructure and something that's useful for application developers. But in order for it to be really successful, it's got to fade into the background. It's kind of got to become boring. And those two events, you know, kind of got me thinking, uh, there really wasn't a lot of buzz around 1.21. Not that it's not an interesting release. It's got some interesting features in it. Um, but there just wasn't, you know, there weren't all the blogs about it. There wasn't all the hubbub about it. And I don't know if that's because a lot of us are just sort of fatigued from being at home quite a bit or, um, you know, we're kind of tired of hearing announcements and it's just like, look, I got things to do. Uh, but it did get me thinking, you know, maybe we've now started to reach a point where, um, you know, Kubernetes is getting fairly boring, right? We don't have to to spend all our time writing about it. And so I thought what I would cover in today's show is, uh, A, is Kubernetes getting kind of boring? And B, if it's getting kind of boring, what's next around the Kubernetes community and, and the sort of associated technologies around Kubernetes? So we're going to get, dive into that right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by Zesty, and Zesty wants to know if you've had enough with managing your AWS commitments. If it were only purchasing commitments, fine. But let's face it, the capacity planning, the back and forth, the ongoing optimization, choosing between one year, three year, savings plans, reserves instances, don't you want to just get back to being an engineer again? This is where Zesty comes in a fully automated commitment management solution that achieves over 45% discounts on your EC2 with a 100% buyback guarantee. What does that mean? It means you'll never over-provision again. So join DevOps teams like Gong, Armis, Amdocs, WalkMe, and Firebolt, and be an engineer again while achieving the highest savings hands-free. Just go to zesty.co slash savings to get your free potential savings evaluation. It takes no more than five minutes. That's zesty.co slash savings. Today's show is sponsored by O'Reilly. O'Reilly is known for its animal books, which have helped tech professionals stay ahead for over 40 years. Today, its online learning platform at O'Reilly.com takes learning tech to the next level. 
Sure, your teams get access to thousands of books and videos, but there's also interactive learning, which is where you can get hands-on with tech like Kubernetes, Python, Docker, Java, and much more in live dev environments. So they learn by doing, not just reading. With live online sessions, your teams learn from the biggest brains in AI, software architecture, cloud, data, programming, and more. They can even prep for tech certification exams with official materials and interactive practice test. And then there's O'Reilly Answers. You just ask the search engine any tech question, and it takes you right to the best answers from O'Reilly's renowned books. It's why 66% of all Fortune 100 companies give their teams O'Reilly Online Learning. Get a demo today at O'Reilly.com. That's O'Reilly.com. And we're back. And as I mentioned uh, before the break, we are going to look a little bit at where Kubernetes is right now. Is it uh, sort of stabilizing, becoming boring, if you will? And if so, or if not, um, where do we see sort of the next uh, kind of waves of technology around Kubernetes, within Kubernetes, and kind of around this entire ecosystem? I thought it'd be a good thing to take a look at, given that uh, CloudNativeCon and KubeCon EU are coming up pretty soon. And uh, we really haven't, you know, because of the pandemic, uh, events got canceled and so forth. Um, it hasn't been a, a big focus area. I know it has been, you know, it's a focus for people all the time that work in this space, but just the news around the ecosystem hasn't been <clears throat> nearly as much as, uh, as it normally is, because again, uh, we, we stopped doing events and people kind of got uh, weary from, you know, just hearing news and, and keeping up with things that weren't just uh, their day-to-day life. So I thought I'd start with sort of the, is Kubernetes boring? Or, you know, what are some of the trends that, that sort of give us some data around what's going on with Kubernetes? So it just recently shipped its 1.21 release, so essentially the 21st release of Kubernetes. Um, and to put that in perspective, now Kubernetes does ship every, oh well, uh, ships every four times a year. So, uh, you know, we're well into the fifth year now. Um, just to put it in kind of in perspective, uh, comparing infrastructure, if you will, uh, the OpenStack project, which is still going strong after probably 10 plus years, which we, we talked about, I don't know, a few months ago on a Sunday Perspective show, um, has shipped 24 releases, right? So they're on a twice a year cadence. Um, but even something like VMware vSphere, which has been around for, you know, again, more than a decade, um, has really only shipped about 12 to 15 releases. And I know there's been interim point releases, but if you look at major releases, they're right now at vSphere 7, um, and they ship about uh, every 18 months, and there's a you know main release and then a sort of a dot .5 release. So, um, you know, Kubernetes has, has shipped a lot of technology, a lot of features and so forth. So from a completeness perspective, if you, if you look at it and you say, you know, can it do a lot of things for my infrastructure? Can it run across multiple clouds? Can it be deployed as a cloud service? Uh, you know, can it can it deploy on bare metal and virtualized and private and public cloud? Yeah, it can do all those things. And does it interact with storage and networking pretty well? Does it do security uh, with various plugins pretty well? Yeah, it does all those sort of things. So, you know, from a completeness perspective, it's not unusual to hear people say that Kubernetes is um, nearing completeness, if you will. Um, it's becoming a little more boring. Uh, it's not sort of as bleeding edge as it as it was at one point in time. It does support <clears throat> a very broad set of applications. The second thing is Kubernetes, the community, uh, the project, is shifting from shipping four releases a year to three releases a year. So, you know, some of that, uh, you know, the velocity of it is slowing down. Um, you know, people are wanting more stability than they were sort of feature velocity. And that's, and that's normal, right? We're seeing more companies are using Kubernetes, relying on Kubernetes, keeping up with uh, four time a year uh, upgrade cycle 
is complicated. Uh, moving to maybe a three time a year uh, upgrade cycle should help that somewhat. And maybe someday we'll see, you know, we'll see it sort of adopt more of a, you know, OpenStack VMware type of cycle of maybe twice a year or something along those lines. So I don't, uh, I don't know that'll happen anytime soon, but, you know, shift from four to three is still uh, a pretty significant shift. Uh, within the community, on average, we see about 170 to 180 companies uh, contributing to the project on a monthly basis. So there is a really still rich community. I think <clears throat> it's around 1,000 engineers on average uh, that are contributing to the project. So you can find all those stats out on the CNCF homepage. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, you know, it is widely available, uh, widely deployed on both private clouds and public clouds, uh, lots of public cloud services. Um, so its adoption, its availability uh, is not in question. Um, like I said, there are uh, probably 80 plus vendors that, that offer some sort of Kubernetes thing. And, um, you know, all the major vendors are offering Kubernetes. So from, from a completeness perspective, from a market uh, visibility perspective, um, you know, you can, you can check a lot of boxes in terms of Kubernetes achieving a lot in five years. Um, and again, based on all the sort of stats that we see in survey data, uh, a large number of companies are beginning to run projects on Kubernetes or <clears throat> you know, have a fairly large amount of uh, applications running on Kubernetes. So all those things tend to uh, lend itself towards Kubernetes becoming more mature. Um, while there still is innovation in this space, uh, you know, it's not necessarily at the same pace that we saw, you know, a few years ago or the, you know, the need for it to be so radically changing. A lot of people are looking for it to be stable. So if we sort of take those data points and you can uh, read into those uh, stability or, you know, still an innovation space or whatever it is, um, but, you know, it is, you know, reaching a level of maturity or boringness, if you will, <clears throat> I apologize for that. So what's next? So what are some of the areas in which we're seeing Kubernetes begin to evolve, both in terms of usage patterns, in terms of the market pushing it? Let's kind of run through a few of these things. To some extent, the projects surrounding and adjacent to Kubernetes really are gaining more attention and more momentum, if you will. And, and this is normal, right? We The foundation has been put in place. It's become stable. Um, the things that you need then build on top of Kubernetes. And if you Go back to the earliest, earliest days of people that were involved with Kubernetes. They'll always tell you whether it's a Kelsey Hightower or a Clayton Coleman or a Joe Beta or a Brendan Burns or you know, uh, you know Brendan Phillips or any of the really kind of OG people working on this. They always said Kubernetes was built to build platforms. It wasn't necessarily built to be consumed in its raw form. It was really built to build application platforms on top of it. And if we look at the, the projects that are really growing in momentum and growing in usage, it is things like Knative and serverless, uh, some of the different service meshes that are deployed on top of Kubernetes, whether that's Istio or Linkerd or um, you know some of the other ones that are out there. Um, you know, some of the multi-cluster management capabilities that are uh, in the marketplace have become very mature. The ability to uh, manage clusters of similar clusters across different environments, being able to manage clusters of, you know, different um, deployment types. So uh, an AWS cluster, a Red Hat cluster, a VMware cluster, a Azure cluster, uh, you know, everybody conforming to that same uh, API, but the tools being able to understand the difference between them and, and the nuances between them. <clears throat> you know, we've seen a big rush of, uh, investment and acquisition around the security space. So whether that was Stackrocks or Aqua or Twistlock or uh, Sneak 
or a number of them, you know, the security space has really, really uh, grown up a lot and, and seen a lot of momentum and investment. Um, we've seen things like operators and Helm charts and other ways of packaging applications, again, trying to make them simpler on top of Kubernetes, really, uh, you know, mature and, and continue to gain in popularity. So, you know, I think the first thing to take, uh, you know, is where is it going is the natural evolution of adjacencies and and projects around Kubernetes now begin to grow, right? The building the platform on top of Kubernetes is, is beginning to expand. I think the second big piece is, you know, the use cases, obviously, We've seen a lot of Kubernetes deployed on-premises and in private data centers. We've seen it deployed uh, and used uh, within the public cloud, uh, whether they are consuming the native services or bringing their own Kubernetes. You know, we've seen those two use cases really expand over the last four or five years. But we're now seeing a lot of usage uh, or, or really exploration and some usage uh, around the variety of edge use cases. And the edge use cases are very interesting because uh, to some extent they are sort of enterprise and mid-market edge use cases. Uh, I just recently did a podcast talking about this. I'll put that in the show notes. But also a number of telcos are beginning to look at uh, adopting Kubernetes for their 5G and their edge deployment. So it really is expanding out uh, from sort of, you know, the biggest environments, private data centers and public clouds into more more edge type of environments, which is, again, what we would expect is the usage patterns begin to spread out from, from its core set of use cases. We're beginning to see uh, a lot of thinking um, and some development and some implementations around you know, frameworks for how to use Kubernetes as what I'll call a, a hybrid or multi-cloud control plane. So not just uh, you know, sort of hybrid or multi-cloud built on consistent cluster types uh, in, you know, in cloud A and cloud B, but really beginning to think about Kubernetes as becoming a control plane and using a lot of the different primitives um, you know, that we use for CRDs and operators and uh, other types of things, uh, you know, it could be cluster API, it could be other things that are helping us to be able to, to think about a control plane that spans multiple clouds. And so I think we're going to see that as a space that, uh, that begins to really expand out. You know, I talked about the edge use cases. The edge use cases have so many variations in terms of their deployment, right? They're, they're very different than the, the sort of big cloud uh, use case, if you will, sort of private or public cloud, in which... I've got you know large amounts of compute. I've got nearly unlimited bandwidth, and um, you know the use cases could be you know a job application, an AI application. But at the edge, you know we really have to think about what's the footprint, how much compute do we have, what's the cost of deploying that, um, how do we get updates out to a remote location, how much network bandwidth is there. So we're really beginning to ask ourselves a number of questions. You know, should we be focused on miniaturizing Kubernetes, if you will? There's some projects to do that. Do we focus on sort of fleet management, if you will? You know, how do we manage tens of thousands of nodes, hundreds of thousands of nodes? What are all the ramifications of being able to manage them in a world in which, you know, the upstream project moves pretty quickly and, and you know, how do you keep up with, with all those things? I think I talked about that on a previous uh, Sunday Perspective show. So the edge is really a space that, um, you know, there is a lot of interest in it from customers as they've gotten used to using containers and so forth, but there also is still uh, a lot of work to be done in terms of refining the technology to move out of the sort of big cloud environment into in a smaller footprint environments. <clears throat> now, one thing that really has thrived in the sort of what I'll call big cloud environments is the AI ML analytics use cases. And we've really seen this for two reasons. One, obviously, we've seen more and more companies, more and more applications really trying to make better use of uh, predictive analytics, AI and ML, machine learning, uh, computer vision, uh, voice assisted types of technology, you know, being able to really 
make uh, impacts on their business. And so that momentum has been going on as those technologies have, have, have emerged and, um, and matured. But also we've seen uh, Kubernetes really become, in a lot of cases, the de facto way of scheduling these applications, right? In the past, they used other tools, more maybe more proprietary to a certain framework. But we're really seeing Kubernetes um, sort of become that de facto way of doing it. And so those two kind of waves coming together at the same time, uh, we are seeing more and more usage of, of Kubernetes for these AI and ML workloads. We're seeing a lot of successful uh, stories out in the marketplace, uh, customers in healthcare and the automotive industry and, uh, you know, um, you know, like media entertainment and a lot of different things. So uh, really, really a big explosion of that space, uh, obviously in banking and financial services and insurance as well, uh, things that they're doing a lot of a lot of modeling. So <clears throat> that, that space is, is exploding like crazy. We will continue to see that go on. And then, you know, one other thing uh, in the technology realm, and then I'll wrap up with one other thing, uh, is this idea of GitOps. You know, something that uh, Weaveworks sort of pioneered a couple of years ago. Uh, if you're interested, in, uh, Alexis Richardson did a really great uh, talk over on the Google Kubernetes podcast a couple of weeks ago, kind of the, the history of, of where GitOps came from. So I'd recommend that. Um, but GitOps has really become kind of a, a way in which people are, are really starting to say, let me put together the combination of my skills around Git, GitLab, GitHub, uh, and you know, Git in general, and the declarative nature of what I can do with, with Kubernetes. So it's becoming a way to provision clusters, manage clusters, manage application life cycles. So we're really starting to see a lot go on uh, around GitOps, and that's a space, whether it's you know the Flux project, the Argo CD project, or, or some other things around this space that you're really seeing uh, a lot of people that are early adopters of it talking about it, and we're seeing some some really interesting successes come out of that. So that's sort of my long list of of the technologies. Obviously, I didn't touch on all the projects that are surrounding Kubernetes. There's a lot of areas that are uh, that are doing very very well, but those are the ones kind of from a big picture that I see on a regular basis. And then the last piece that uh, I'm seeing quite a bit, and this is not so much Kubernetes specific, but really kind of cloud specific. Right? We've seen a um, you know a larger group of companies and use cases beginning to use the public cloud more and more, uh, sort of accelerated because of COVID. Um, more and more people are successful in the cloud, and so it, it ripples throughout companies. And we're really sort of seeing a second wave of companies that are trying to figure out how do I maintain costs, especially you know as they've allowed their teams to use Kubernetes, uh, the self-service nature of a lot of the platforms that support Kubernetes. Um, and they're really trying to wrap their head around, you know, how do we do cost management? So they're they're kind of marrying together the we're in the cloud now. We didn't really know how to do cost management before. We now have to. And Kubernetes and the self-service nature of the platforms built on top of Kubernetes are really driving more and more uh, awareness and need to be able to do good cost management, good cost forecasting, good cost prevention. Um, and that's an area I think we'll see. Uh, you know, we've, we've called it FinOps before on other shows, but uh, it's an area I think we'll see a lot of innovation start to happen there. So with that, I'm going to kind of wrap it up. Um, you know, again, we always try and keep these shows a little bit shorter, uh, let you, you know, kind of think about what's going on, but uh, kind of wanted to, to give some perspective on the state of Kubernetes because, you know, it's sort of that time of the year when we're thinking about Kubernetes because of KubeCon. Uh, but, you know, kind of, is it moving fast? Is it moving slow? Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Tried to hit on a little uh, 
couple different perspectives on that, and uh, hopefully that was useful. And uh, a lot of that is, you know, based on you know, I get a chance to talk to a lot of companies that are uh, either using Kubernetes or you know, exploring it uh, for their business. So hopefully that uh, that insight was was useful to you. Again, if you ever have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. Show at thecloudcast.net or at uh, thecloudcastnet on Twitter. So with that, I'm going to wrap up. Thank you as always for listening to the show. Thanks for telling a friend. If you get a chance, we'd love a rating and, uh, and feedback on the show. Um, you know, at Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts from. So with that, I'm going to wrap up and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 